This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Malo Hudson, a widely recognized scholar, teacher and practitioner in urban planning with a focus on community-centered projects that improve the economic, environmental, political and social well-being of urban residents. We're really excited that Malo joined Columbia GSAP's faculty this year, where, in addition to teaching, he's about to launch the school's Urban Community and Health Equity Lab to conduct interdisciplinary research aimed at transforming institutions, policies, and practices that cause health inequities. Thanks for joining us today, Malo. Thank you. When we think about cities today, we are increasingly thinking about the impact on health, and yet it's not so clear what that impact is. And so uh, the research that you're doing is quite interesting and at times counterintuitive even. I uh, wanted to ask you to, to expand on what, what you've discovered, but also how you think cities help, you know, shape health, but how health can inform cities, in fact, and uh, how questions of equity play in. Well, thank you very much for having me today. It's nice to have a conversation with you. My work is largely at the intersection of community development and health. Uh, most recently, I've been looking at the built environment and health. Really curious about how does housing and transportation and why does place matter and how does place matter affect people's health. Oftentimes, we may talk about in urban planning about creating quality of life for people, but really it's about what is their day-to-day life like? Are, are they living? Are they dying? Or do they have diabetes? Do they have asthma? Are they under all kinds of stress? So lately, my work has been focused on how does housing impact people's health? So my last book, The Urban Struggle for Economic, Environmental, and Social Justice, was really looking at how are residents staying in neighborhoods that are experiencing neighborhood change, or what some might refer to as gentrification. So I was looking at San Francisco, Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C. And through those interviews and discussions with people, I started to see a similar pattern where people start discussing the amount of stress that they were under or they were getting sick or that they had gotten cancer. Now, clearly, we can't jump from understanding these stresses to then saying, well, these are the the negative health outcomes, but starting to explore how do these factors, uh, whether it be economic issues that people are struggling with, or if they're starting to be displaced. So seeing people moving further and further away. So my current work now is starting to try to understand, look at people who are moving further out of the city, the central city, and what is that doing for them physiologically, their mental health, but also uh, do they spend time with their family? Are they part of a social network? And if you go back to the city, just looking at neighborhoods that are starting to go through what people refer to as gentrification or neighborhood change, as I said earlier, People that they've known for a long time suddenly are not there. Their support network is not there. Things that they could count on before, whether it be the bodega at the end of the corner where they might float them for a week if they're short money, now they see those things going away. And so really understanding how does the built environment, how does the social fabric of a community or in a city really impact people's health? It's really interesting, of course, because there's this expression, you know, here comes the Whole Foods, or, you know, there's a sense that on the one hand, there is a portion of the population that maybe is getting healthier and that it can afford to eat organic food and, and you know, walk 
to work, uh, etc. And so all these questions of livability in terms of the city have been really at the forefront of what we've found cities to be able to provide, uh, which in the past, you know, the suburbs was the place where you, you, you know, people would move to the suburb to, help, to have a healthier life. And now it's almost like the, there's a reverse uh, migration that's happening where affordability is on the outer edges and therefore you're spending more time coming back into the centers. And uh, so it's a kind of very interesting reverse that's occurring. Yes, it's it's really interesting to understand how our cities are changing, especially what I call strong market cities. So those are cities where there are a tremendous amount of jobs being created, whether that be like Silicon Valley or in the financial sector in New York or, or educational sector in Boston. But people are wanting to live in cities now, the new generation, and there's this investment being made. And we have to think about what does the right to the city mean for everyone, right? So obviously you want to see people moving back to the city. It's great for the environment. And a big part of my work, when you start talking about development and health, you also have to think about the environment. And so on one level, we have policies at our city levels that are saying, let's invest in the urban core. Let's invest, invest around transit. So focusing on transit-oriented development, all of these things are wonderful. I think the, the, the challenge comes in with how do we ensure that people from different ranges of income and people from different educational and skill levels are able to partake in that as well. And so we have to think about, as the world urbanizes, right, we know the world is urbanizing, what does the 21st century city look like? What does the equitable city look like? And I think being here in New York City and, and certainly having done work across the United States and, and, and increasingly in Latin America and in Europe, um, many people have thoughts about how can we grow at the same time, use technologies in ways, whether that be thinking about our, our transportation systems, our, how do we collect data and how that matters in terms of you know, who has opportunity, who doesn't, educational outcomes, but really thinking about how do we transform the city so it benefits everyone from different income stratas, race, ethnicity, and so forth. And increasingly, you talk to people, they want to see investment in their neighborhood. I've yet to go to an economically disadvantaged community around the world, and they say, we don't want investment. They want investment, but what they want to do is be at the table and be a part of the decision-making process. So being part of the you know, citizen engagement or the democratic process that says, here's what we would like to see in the community. So I think of, we're so close to, to Harlem, right? We look at the changes that have been happening, whether it be in central Harlem and, and so forth, is there have been for a long time mom and pops. And this is, this is true for the Mission District in San Francisco, where you have many communities that have been in place for a long time. They've had mom and pops, you know, that have been owned by people of color, largely in these communities. And now they see themselves you know, some might say under assault or certainly struggling to make it in this 21st century economy. And what they say is, look, we want to be a part of this too. We want to be a part of this new growth. It's not that they don't want to see new things come in. They do. They just want to be a part of that and understand what does this mean for economic development? What does this mean for jobs? And what does this mean for the social fabric of the community? I mean, one of the things that I think is so wonderful about architects and designers and urban planners is that we can get involved in how the built environment is, in sh is shaped. And so much of the built environment impacts our everyday lives and, and, and shapes the places that we live. And the fundamental piece of my work is how does place matter for your health, for economic opportunities, for education, for the environment, for all those things. And it's really interesting because in, in 
it, what I loved about your book is that it's not only a critique, it offers examples that have been successful in negotiating investment, but also preserving, I'm thinking about the Mission neighborhood in, in San Francisco, or even your work, because you really operate between you're a kind of engaged scholar, you know, you also kind of are engaged in building those community relationships. So I wanted to share some of the better, more hopeful news in terms of like how these kind of constructive collaborations and, and, and can happen. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, obviously as academics, we sometimes only look at the negatives, but in fact, I'm very optimistic about what the opportunities are. So let's think back here in the United States. You look at institutions, whether it be the Longwood Medical Area in Boston, Massachusetts, where Harvard's teaching hospitals and other universities and research centers are located there. They've been able to make linkages to the local community to think about hiring, to think about health and have initiatives around health equity and so forth. But increasingly, I find also that some of the solutions are broad. So I do work in Chile, and I've been going there, and, I, and there's a big focus now to really thinking about regionally and environmentally, and what does the circular economy mean? So how do you not just think about zero waste and improving the environment, but also thinking about investing in people, investing in education, you know, helping people move from, in, in some cases, in a, more of an agrarian economy into an economy that's in the 21st century that's really relying on new technological breakthroughs. And so there are a number of strategies that are out there, and some of them really begin, if you were to look across the board where you see some changes happening, where there's deep engagement. There's deep engagement with the local community, and I'm using the, the word community more broadly, but deep engagement, and there's a focus on the process, the democratic process, involving people in the process of shaping their built environment, but really getting involved around several things. How do you transform institutions that matter, whether it be educational, governmental, health, we can go on and on, but shaping those institutions and then thinking about what policies and practices can really make a difference on the ground. So it's one thing to be at a great university like Columbia University, and it's another to be engaged out in the community. And so one of the things that through my work and the work of many of my colleagues here is to be outwardly thinking, being global and understanding what's happening elsewhere, whether that be in, in Chile or whether that be what's happening in East London what are those strategies that our people are doing to bring about the kind of positive change that many of us want to see in our communities? I think it's really um, exciting also for our students, you know, who come from all over the world to realize that you don't just think about the specificity of a place, even though, of course, that's really critical. You try to, you know, take lenses, whether housing or health, you know, to start thinking relationally about those different places and the and a planning, a planner really does that, right? I mean, you're the glue, even more than architects, between these different parts and designing the process. I remember when I first became dean, I, you know, as an architect, I would try to get my head around what planners do. And I remember being told, we design the process, you know? <laughs> and you're really designing uh, new kinds of processes. And I know in your own work have really worked closely with communities. Uh, you students just seem to really kind of uh, hover around you there's it's very you bring such an energy to planning as a discipline and as a practice and I w wanted to hear more about how you're bringing all those ideas and practices to to your students sure well you brought up a great point earlier of how sometimes as academics and certainly in this conversation I was focusing on some of the challenges we know that there's forced migration and income inequality and environmental degradation we can go on and on but what keeps me going is actually understanding that 
we have the agency to make a difference. It's not always easy. These issues are complex. And I think as a planner, one of the things I try to instill in my students and in my own practice and in, in academic research is to be able to understand the work of others, whether it be architects, policymakers, business leaders, people out in, out in the real world, is understand how all of us can contribute to solving problems. So one of the things in my courses I always try to focus on is let's identify the problems or challenges, but let's not get stuck by paralysis of analysis, by, but actually thinking, what are the things that we can do, even if it's taking a step forward to make that difference? And that oftentimes means branching out to community groups. That means reaching across campus to reach out to someone in engineering, because there are wonderful people around us. And I think if we can start to break down some of these silos, and that's a wonderful thing being at a school like GSAP, is that we have colleagues who are always interacting with each other. I can run down the hall and ask a colleague a question, how do you approach this particular issue? Or how do you approach that issue? And I think if we keep students focused on solutions and being innovative, and not being stuck as there's just one way to think about something, but really there are multiple ways to think about it. As planners, certainly in the discipline I was trained in, how do we bring people together to really address those issues and, and frame them in an important way? But it's not just enough to do that, but how do we implement it so that it really leads to real change? So one of the things that I'm very excited about is in terms of creating you know, a glue between the inside of academia and the outside is you're launching very in the next few days, I think the Urban Community and Health Equity Lab, which is hopefully going to bring some of that knowledge and, and some of these kind of practices to your engaged practice here in the, in the city and beyond. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Yes, uh, I'm excited to be launching the Urban Community and Health Equity Lab. It's really an op- it's a, it's a research lab that's interdisciplinary, that's really focused on addressing some of the broader issues around the built environment and health, the economy and community development, and law and governance. I am focusing not only locally, domestically, but also internationally. And the idea is really to branch out and connect with community groups to discuss some of the issues and challenges that people face right here in New York City, as well as abroad. And I think this will be a great opportunity to collaborate with colleagues across the campus, certainly within GSAP, and to bring students into the fold so they could start working on their thesis or whatever it is that they're working on that relates to this work in a way that we can bring in grants and really hopefully do several things and help transform institutions, as I mentioned earlier. Certainly think about the policies that matter. Certainly as planners, what do we think about for a city? But also what are the practices at the local level? Oftentimes, you know, scale is that we don't think about scale as being just a neighborhood or, or, you know, it could be that small of a change all the way up to uh, nation states. So I think about my, my various work, but some of the work around the circular economy, there's a circular cities network based with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and London, and you know, sometimes the work can be at the city level, and sometimes it's at the nation state level. And I think it's important to understand various levels, but really having community at the center of that and understanding that, yes, I might bring a certain specialization to the table, but truly they're the experts of the community. And it's really being able to understand and work together to then think how can research and rigorous research really influence various challenges that people are facing and engage residents, uh, leaders in the community, uh, policymakers, and others into the process. Well, it's really exciting, Malo. So thank you so much for your time. And I'm really looking forward to both seeing the work of the lab, but also seeing how you start changing how we think about planning in cities today. Thank you, Malo. Great. Thank you. 
This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with ARC Daily. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu. Thank you.